Well, the following ad was placed in a London newspaper. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return is doubtful. Sounds enticing, doesn't it? But because it was signed by Sir Ernest Shackleton and Arctic Explorer, thousands of men eagerly signed up, willing to sacrifice everything for the prospect of meaningful adventure. So we turn in our Bibles today to Acts chapter 13. What we're going to see is the first of three missionary journeys in the book. There have actually been many journeys, but these are the first of the official missionary journeys that take place. And as these uh, individuals go, what we're going to see is that the journeys are much like the ad we just read. They require great sacrifice. And yet those who went were willing to go because they knew there would be a life-changing impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ as lives were changed for all eternity. As you look with me at Acts 13, 1 through 4, it tells us, now there were at Antioch in the church Uh, Now there were at Antioch in the church that were there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they had fasted, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now, as we look at what's happening here, we're told that the journey begins at Antioch. If you look ahead to Acts 13, 14, you'll see that there is another place called Antioch Pisidian. If you were here a few weeks back when we looked at Acts chapter 11, you'll recall we talked a lot about this city, uh, not Antioch Pisidian. That was a small city, but the one that they're in here in verse 1, Antioch of Syria. Antioch of Syria, as you'll recall, was a very large and significant city, not just an influence, but it was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. And as we look at what is happening here, it's located 300 miles north of Jerusalem, as you can see on the map. And you'll recall that in Jerusalem, that's where the birth of the church began at the day of Pentecost among the Jews. But what is happening now in the book of Acts is the the center of evangelism, the center of the story is shifting north to Antioch. This is going to be the base of the future journeys. And not only is the city shifting, but so is the focus on the central character. Because to this point, the Apostle Peter has kind of been in the forefront, but he's going to drop off the pages of the story. He'll show up one more time in Acts. But the person that is going to be central to the story now is Saul, as he is going around. Now, you see that Saul is also named Paul, as you look later in the passage, and that was his Gentile name, his Greek name. So Saul is the Apostle Paul. Now, we see the diversity in the church by looking at the list of names that Luke lists here. He starts with Barnabas. Barnabas, you'll recall, we met back in chapter, chapter 4. He was a, a Jew from Cyprus. Cyprus, as you look at the map, is right here uh, west of Jerusalem off the coast. And so this is where he's from. Simeon was also a Jew, but he has a Latin nickname, Niger, which means black. So that tells us he was probably an African, very dark-skinned, and it also tells us he's running in Roman circles because of his Latin nickname. Uh, Some have speculated this this may be the Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus Christ's cross in Matthew 27, 32 and Mark 15, 21. But the text doesn't tell us that's who he is. 
Lucius, we see, is from Cyrene, which is where modern-day Libya is, up in Africa, in North Africa. He may have been part of the group that we saw in Acts 11.20 who had originally brought the gospel there to the city of Antioch of Syria. Now, the next man mentioned is uh, Manon, and we see that he's been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. Last week, you'll recall that Michael was talking about a different Herod, Herod Agrippa I. In the Bible, there are a number of Herods that are mentioned. They're all interrelated into this kind of uh, ruling family. This is not Herod the Tetrarch. I mean, Herod Agrippa. You'll recall he died a horrible death as he was struck with worms. This is Herod the Tetrarch, who's also called Herod Antipas. As you read through the biblical account, you'll see he's the guy that beheaded John the Baptist. He's also the one who oversaw uh, part of the trial of Jesus Christ during his uh, preceding his crucifixion. So this Herod, we're told, uh, was uh, brought up, the manon was brought up with him. Now, the Greek word used is syntrophis, and this describes one of two things. Either a very close friend who kind of from childhood on had been raised together. It was also used to describe a foster brother. So this is a guy that we know has a very close and intimate relationship with the ruling family. You'll recall Luke, the doctor, is writing the account of Acts, talking to eyewitnesses and gathering evidence. And it's very likely this is the guy who's been giving all the inside story on the families uh, that we see mentioned in the scriptures regarding Herod. But his relationship here, whether it's a childhood friend or a foster brother, tells us that they were raised together. They grew up on the same street, possibly even in the same home. And there's quite a diversity here. They've been on the same street all their life, but when they encounter Jesus Christ, there's a split. Because Herod becomes the antagonist who says, Jesus needs to be destroyed. The church needs to be destroyed. While this other man becomes an evangelist who points people to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, The Bible tells us in Matthew 7, 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, uh, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. The Bible describes the, the, the way of the world as this broad superhighway that we can tool along, but there's a point where we come where the bridge is out. And the Bible tells us that when our life on this earth is over, if we've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, if we've not uh, diverted off the road and gone to the one who said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That there's a point where we're going to go off that, where the bridge is out because there's this chasm of sin that separates us from God. And we'll go to that lake of fire, the place we call hell if we've not turned to Christ as our Savior. And yet because of the cross, what Jesus did when he died for us, you can lay that cross down over the chasm and it provides the way for us home to heaven. As you think about your life this morning, I wonder which road you would say you're on. As you look at the Herods of the Bible, these were men of power. These were guys who had everything the world offered. And yet, as I said, they were on this broad road to destruction where the bridge was out. As you think in terms of your life, are you on that road? Have you rejected Christ as Herod and the others have done? Or have you found the one, Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one, not even you or me, will go to God except through him. Which road are you on this morning? And as you think in terms of the road you're on, what would people say when they encounter you? 
You may say, well, Roger, I'm okay. I know the Lord. He's my Savior. Uh, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm going to go home to heaven. But what about your friends? What about your coworkers? What about the strangers that you maybe meet on the street? When they encounter you, are you more like a mile marker on the highway? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been driving down the highway and you see those little things every mile along the road and you just pass them, pass them, pass them, and periodically you kind of go, where am I? Oh, yeah, I'm at mile marker such and such. Are we more like a fork in the road where when people encounter us, they're forced to make a decision? They're forced to stop and decide, am I going to go uh, off the, the main beaten path and go to the narrow gate that leads to, to heaven? Or am I just going to keep going down the road? As we look at those that are here, Manon became a man who was a fork in the road. And as people encountered him, he said, I want you to know Jesus Christ. I want you to know the way home to heaven. Now, the next man that is mentioned is named Saul. And for a time, you'll recall, he was on this broad road of destruction. Saul, as we saw early in the story of the book of Acts, was a Pharisee. He was part of that inner group uh, that was surrounding the Sanhedrin. He was a guy in training to, to make it to the Jewish Supreme Court. You'll recall in Acts 7 and 8, he was the guy there at the trial as Stephen was brought before uh, the Sanhedrin. And then when the death sentence was given to stone him, it was Saul that, that stood guard over the stuff as, as Stephen, the first Christian, was, was martyred, as he was murdered by being stoned to death. And then Saul set out on the road to Damascus, chasing down other Christians who had fled the persecution. And he was on that road to destruction, trying to arrest and bring back Christians when he encountered the resurrected Lord. Jesus Christ appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And it was at that moment that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And Saul went from being like the Herods on the road to destruction to being like these others who said, you need to know the way home, which comes through Jesus Christ. And as we look at what he's doing here, as, as we look at this road that he's setting out on in the book of Acts, this first missionary journey, we're going we're gonna to take a little side path here now because what I want to do is come back next week. And walk you through the specifics of the journey as they go down to the seaport and as they sail on to Cyprus and as they go to the next uh, places where the gospel will be spread. But what I need to do this morning is to talk about the road that God has Wayside Chapel on. Because if you were here last Sunday, you'll recall that we were voting on the possibility of buying a, a piece of property to the north. And 88% of the voting members voted to uh, purchase the Stone Oak Campus. So we're going to be buying this property to the north and opening a second location. Now, as I say all that, uh, let me start by first saying what is not changing. Because immediately people begin to say, well, what's going on? Are we, are we selling this property? Is this a master move where we're leaving 1705 Northwest Loop 420 and moving the whole church to Stone Oak? And the answer is no. We are going to continue to meet here at... Uh, we're going to call this the Wayside Chapel 410 campus. And we're going to have a second campus called Wayside Chapel Stone Oak. Now, the second thing I want to make clear that is not changing is our vision, our purpose. As you look in terms at our church, you heard earlier our, our vision statement. It says, Wayside Chapel is a community rooted in the word, reaching out to the world, reproducing Christ's followers. And what we see there is the definition of why we exist as a church, what we are here for. You begin with a community. You see, Wayside Chapel is not this building. The church is not a building. The church is the body within the building. 
As we walk out of the doors of this location, we're still Wayside Chapel. We're still the local body of believers that makes up Wayside Chapel. That is the church, not a building. And so nothing is going to change in terms of that. Whether part of our church is meeting up in Stone Oak or here, we're still a part of the body of Christ. Uh, churches are, are a little part of the body as a little C, and then there's the big C, universal church, where all believers are a part of. So what sets Wayside Chapel apart from other churches is our vision statement. And when you look in terms of who we are, we talk about being a community. And you'll recall we build a community to reach the community around us. And when we build a community, it's for the sake of worshiping our Savior. It's for the sake of encouraging and equipping one another. The Bible says my job description as a pastor in Ephesians 4.11 is the equipping of the saints ministry is not about people coming and watching pastors on a platform do ministry. It's about being equipped to do the ministry. And none of that is going to change. We're just going to be doing it now in two locations. When, you, when we talk about rooting somebody in the Word, John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is called the living Word. And we as a church point people to a personal relationship in Jesus Christ. Again, none of that is changing. We want people to know the Lord, to come to faith in him. And then the next aspect of being rooted in the word is God calls on us who are believers to be in an abiding relationship with him. And the picture is of a vine that sinks deep roots and as it draws nutrients from the soil, it becomes fruitful and it reproduces. And we want people to be rooted in the written word of God. It's why we're an expository Bible teaching church where we say we want you to know the scriptures because that's how you, you know the Lord and know what God wants you to do. So that is not changing either. When it says we're reaching out to the world, in Acts 1.8 we were told, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And again, that is, our, that is our vision as a church. We're to start locally and go globally in terms of outreach. You'll recall the church began in Jerusalem, right where they were at. And then they moved into the surrounding area like Bear County, the Judea, and then the Samaria, the, the areas beyond, and then ultimately, as we're seeing, to the uttermost parts of the earth. As we talk in terms about our local outreach increasing by having a, a second campus, it doesn't mean that we're taking anything away from our global outreach. Our church has always been a missional church and will continue to do so. When you give your gifts on a Sunday morning or through electronic giving or other ways that you, you support the ministry, the general fund is what we, what we fund our missionaries with. And when you look at Wayside Chapel, we have missionaries all over the world. These are the countries that we have missionaries. These are full-time vocational uh, ministers that are called missionaries that have been commissioned and are out serving in other countries. We have missionaries in Chad and Nigeria and North Africa and Rwanda and Swaziland and Tanzania and Togo and Uganda, Croatia, the Czech Republic, England, Moldova, Romania, Russia, in Ukraine, in Macau, in Spain, in Costa Rica, in Peru, in Guatemala. JARS is the jungle aviation. These are the people who fly into those jungle areas and support and, and evac missionaries and do various support needs. We support Reach Global, Discipleship Tape Ministry, Sammy Tippett Ministry, Shepherd Support, 
Pregnancy Care Center, Colonial Hills Partnership. This is the elementary school you hear us talking about where we've seen about 130 kids come to Christ over the years of ministry, the last uh, eight years in that school. San Antonio Metro Ministries, or SAM. We support CREW. This is for the old school people, Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, Navigators, One Way International, Pioneers, Transworld Radio, Wycliffe. These are the Bible translators. East-West Ministries. We're working in East Asia, in Eurasia, in India, Japan, Thailand. When I say closed countries, I like to refer to that as creative access countries because no country is close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just because the government says the gospel can't come in, that ain't happening. But I put closed countries up there because I, I can't put some of the places we have missionaries because it could, it could imperil their ministries, and we're not going to do that. So we have missionaries in places uh, that you don't necessarily know about, but we do, and God does. Uh, teams trips. What are teams trips? Teams are part of that vision of our church. Remember, when we say we're reaching out to the world, it's not about you just putting offerings in a plate to support missions. We want you to put your lives in the plate. We want you to, to catch the vision as a church of being missional. And we see that happening. Last year, we sent three new missionaries to the field that had been uh, raised up here at Wayside. This year, we have three additional families and individuals that are preparing to go to the mission field as vocational missionaries. And much of that passion and heart comes from people growing up in our student ministry, being here in our pews, seeing and, and, and catching that vision. We just had a team return from East Asia in March, we have a, another team that is this summer. We have three teams that are going out. The middle school ministry, again, I said we try to grow people up with this missions mindset. Our middle school students are going to Tennessee. Now, that's not a foreign country. Some might say it is. But they're going to they're gonna be going to Tennessee and, and getting a taste of a cross-cultural experience and getting out of their comfort zone. And then our high schoolers are going to Guatemala. They're going to work with our partners at the Potter's House in Guatemala. We have a, another group, our Arizona Teams trip, uh, used to be called the Family Ministries Team that goes to El Nathan in Arizona to work with the Navajo Nation. And we've been working uh, with this indigenous group of people for years. And to, to come to faith in Christ means giving up so much of their identity and culture because they're, they're tied into the, the history of their their nation, and 22 of these kids last year came to faith in Christ through the El Nathan team. And this is something that you can be a part of. In July, this is for families with young children all the way to singles or empty nesters. You can be a part of this group that goes in July. Uh, we have another group going to Guatemala beyond the high school. The high schoolers are going in July, but in November, we have another team's trip going to Guatemala. So if that's your heart, you can be a part of that trip. So these are places that we're working to send people. Remember, our vision statement is Wayside Chapel is a community rooted in the word, reaching out to the world, and also reproducing Christ's followers. We don't want you as Christians to be those who sit, soak, and sour. It's not about getting a big head full of Bible knowledge and then sitting back and doing nothing with it. It's about taking what you know and reproducing yourself. And as a church, we reproduce ourselves as well. As you look back over the history of Wayside Chapel, we have planted churches all throughout our city. This is a map of the San Antonio region, and these are some of the churches that we've planted over our history. You see Bernie Bible Church to the north and Hillside Fellowship are the far north. 
Inlesia Cristiano is a Spanish-speaking congregation that has been started up in the Stone Oak area a few years ago to reach uh, the Mexican nationals, the, the affluent business people who are moving out of Mexico and into the area. So it's a different type of church plant. You see El Camino down to the south. Uh, El Camino is actually the mothership of Wayside Chapel. If you've ever wondered why we're called Wayside Chapel, it's because 55 years ago, we met at Wayside and Vance Jackson as a little church, a little chapel. And there was a group of individuals uh, who were part of what was called Fairview Evangelical Free Church at the time that said, we are going to be missional. And we're going to reach into that far northern part of the city, uh, which is what it was in that day. I'll remind you, we're in Castle Hills, which is the northern suburb of what used to be San Antonio. And now San Antonio has swallowed this area up. And so over the years, Fairview uh, transitioned, and now it is El Camino, a Spanish-speaking church that we as a church support our mother church uh, down there to the south. Uh, You see Vista Community Church over there on the west. That's James Mendoza's group that we planted out seven years ago to launch that new church. And then you have Northwest Community, Communion Chapel. Uh, You come over here to the top right. That's Northeast Bible Church in Garden View. They've planted two churches since we planted them out. Uh, Life Church of Lavernia down on the bottom. Um, and then there are churches you don't see on here, churches that God raised up, used for a season, and then dropped off, like New Song, an inner city church that we had, and there was Hana Church, which was a, an Asian-focused church. And so Wayside Chapel has had as its DNA over the years planting churches, reproducing ourselves. So as we talk in terms of planting a new campus to the north, what is the difference of a multi-site versus what we've done in the past, these church plants? Let me define our terms for us. A multi-site church shares a common vision. You just saw our vision statement. If you go to any one of our church plants that we've been a part of, they do not have the same vision statement. They have certainly the same core values, but the way they go about doing it is different. We will have one budget. It's not going to be Stone Oak has their own budget. We have ours. It's a consolidated budget that we share. Uh, The leadership will be the same. The elder board will be the same. It is one church meeting in more than one location. It's an extension of our existing campus. Remember, we're not moving this campus. This is a, an outreach into a new area. It will not take away from our ongoing ministry here, but it will add to our impact in the city and the surrounding area. Now, I know some of you came to the two question and answer, so the next couple slides are going to be things you've already seen, but there are many of you who didn't hear this, and I want to just get us all together on the vision and what we're doing. So what does a multi-site church do? Well, it assists our members in reaching family and friends who are less willing to travel a greater distance to church. Remember, this is about being a missional uh, church. And there's a saying, a church alive is worth the drive. And we have people who drive in for more than an hour to get here and worship. But we're talking about reaching people who are non-churched and de-churched. We're not just trying to steal sheep from someone else. We're not looking for transfer growth. We're looking for conversion growth. And we're not going to turn people away at the door that say we've been hungry for a church like Wayside. The Bible says there's a famine for hearing the word of God. And there are lots of great churches in our city, but I hear so many times there, there's lots of chicken soup for the soul, and there's not real deep uh, abiding in God's word. And so we're going to be planting into an area where there are good churches, great churches even, 
But why are we going into that area? I'll show you more in a moment. But what we're trying to do is reach people who will not drive to this campus. What does a multi-site church do? It brings together the best aspects of a larger church and a smaller church, the size of community, best practices. There are people who walk into Wayside Chapel and they go, oh, I love this church. It feels, it's so small and cozy. And there are other people who walk in here and go, this place is enormous. I'm scared. I know that because I talk to them. And so we're, we're on both ends of the scale. Well, as we plan out a new church, we're going to be taking a smaller aspect of our body and transferring it that will create that community for some people who maybe don't feel comfortable in a size setting like ours. It increases the total number of available seats during optimal worship times. Those of you who come to the 11 o'clock know there are some Sundays you can't find parking here in our Castle Hills shuttle lot or now even over at Pape Dawson. We fill up both shuttle lots. We fill up all the seats in here. We talked about doing a seating renovation where we were going to take the pews out and put in stadium seating, uh, kind of those theatrical seats. We're going to put that project on hold because we're going to ask a group of 150 to 200 of you to plant out to the Stone Oak campus. And I'm going to talk more in a moment about what that looks like. But what that's going to do is open up. We were going to add about 250 seats here, but we're going to create that capacity uh, now, long-term, I believe God is going to fill that campus, and he'll refill this campus, and then we'll have to look at moving forward with that later. But this is going to be put on hold. It improves the stewardship of resources because we're not multiplying many of the support structures. When we plant out a new church, they don't have a finance director. They don't have a facilities person. They don't have a children's team that develops the curriculum and oversees it. They don't have the student. And so what you do is you end up multiplying your staff. Here we're going to share uh, many of those functions. There will be unique staff members out at the new campus. And I'll highlight those here in a moment. It overcomes geographic barriers when a church facility is landlocked or tightly zoned. Uh, we sit on 4.2 acres right here at Wayside Chapel. And the Ivywood homes, 10 of the 12 uh, homes next door we own, if we were to be able to buy the last two homes and uh, rezone and have that entire property, we would have a 9.2-acre campus. The Stone Oak campus is 18.73 acres. It's more than double uh, the size of our existing campus. Again, we're not doing a master move. We're not leaving this location. We're adding a new location that will have great capacity for future growth. It mobilizes more volunteers through a multiplication of ministry opportunities. It provides a pipeline for the development of emerging leaders and future staff. I just told you that we have six families that have been raised up to go as vocational uh, missionaries in the last two years. We have seven men and two women who are attending seminary right now, and we have another man who's finished his seminary. And so we're raising up and multiplying leaders. And Wayside's not trying to be an employment agency where we provide a place for all of them, but we're raising up some choice-quality people, and this will be uh, individuals that we're going to be tapping to serve in some of the new staff positions. Some of you are ushers and greeters. Some of you serve in our children's or our student ministry areas or part of the parking posse. Uh, some of you are going to be going to the new campus. And what that means is there are going to be opportunities here that are going to open up. So if you've been sitting back and saying, gosh, I've, I've wanted to do this or that, there are going to be places that need to be backfilled here, and there are going to be places there that are going to be opportunities for you to serve. So where is the campus? 
It's north, if you go north of two, uh, up 281 and you get to Evans Road and go west a little bit, you'll come to it. It's at 1300 Evans Road, right next door to Barbara Bush Middle School. Why are we looking in that area? Well, this is where Wayside Chapel is drawing from. As you look at our campus, these are the adult attenders. Now, this doesn't add up to a total of 100% because there are people that are coming from even outside of this area. So as you look at our, our central campus, Wayside 410, you can see there's 27% in the one zip code, and then the two bottom zip codes are 17%. So as you would expect, that 20-minute rule, people are coming to our campus from this area. But then as you go up into the Stone Oak area, you see 22% of our church is coming from this area. And when you look at where our kids coming from, you'll notice around the main campus, the numbers are going to drop a little, and then the numbers uh, on the, the west, the south, and these areas will increase because this is, tells us that the younger families, the growing families are there, and some of the empty nesters and others are in this area. But again, up in the Stone Oak area, there's about 22% of our kids that are coming from this area. And one of the things as a parent, I have a, I have a middle school and a high school uh, student as well as one who's about to finish elementary school. And I know it's important as a parent for my kids to have a peer group and to impact their schools. I want my kids being missional in their schools. And I want them being able to influence and have support from other kids as well. And parents who are coming from this area, one of the things that they sometimes say is, my kids' peer groups uh, are in different places. And this will give us an opportunity to reach into that area. As you look at who's coming, not only is 22% of our church from this area, but up in five-mile circle around 1300 Evans Road, there are 172,000 people uh, that we know about that are just in that five-mile radius. Beyond those households, uh, there are 16 elementary schools, six middle schools, and three high schools that are within that five-mile region. Again, as we're talking about being missional and impacting our community, and those of you who are parents or if you just watch the news, if you're an empty nester, you know what our kids face today is different than what we faced growing up. And so we want to equip and, and send our students as missionaries into their schools. 1.6 miles away from this new campus is the Mormon Tabernacle. And if you know anything about Mormonism, they build a tabernacle when there are 100,000 Mormons in an area. So that tells us that there are at least 100,000 Mormons within this metro area. Now, they have other local churches called wards or branches that are also up in this area. And one of the things we're going to be doing next year is having a series on what is Mormonism. Is it cult or Christianity? And I'll give you a spoiler alert. It's a cult. Um, <laughs> Mormons are wonderful people. I love Mormons. They, they appear more Christian than we do many times because they're trying to work their way to God. But they believe in a different Messiah, Jesus Christ, than I do because he's not their Messiah. They can become gods of their own planet and on and on. We'll, we'll uncover what Mormonism really is about. But those are good people who are lost because they bought into a counterfeit uh, Christianity. And so this is a mission field here in our city. Uh, right there. Another mission field that is right here in our city. You saw where some of our missionaries are. Some of those closed countries I couldn't mention are in Muslim contexts uh, where we are sending people to reach the Islamic world. And as you look at this area, three and a half miles away from the new Stone Oak campus, 
Uh, this was an article in the, in the uh, San Antonio Express News, March 16th of 2014. The north side gets its first Muslim worship center. And three and a half miles away, they built uh, this new uh, Muslim center. Now, they're not calling it a mosque uh, for various reasons, but as you read the article, they gather there, they worship there, they have their rituals there. It's a, it's a mosque. So why are they there? Well, this article says... The new facility marks a milestone for local, and these are a Shiite branch of uh, Islam who have grown up from 40 members 30 years ago to an estimated 2,000 today. That's two years ago. The Amman says we have 2,000 worshipers in this north area. Our church has been positioning itself to reach into the Muslim world, not only through our missionaries, but through the bridges, prayer group, and training group, we have a missional focus coming. Our fall mission speaker will be talking about how to, how to share the gospel uh, with those in an Islamic context. So uh, we've been preparing for this. Why are they there? Its leaders said they chose this location, a visible stretch of Evans Road, to cater to members living in nearby neighborhoods. Again, we have, a, we have a mission field right here in our city. As we send people over into Muslim countries, God is sending the Muslims right here for us to reach. Every one of us can be missional right here in our city. So here's the campus. If you didn't go out and tour it, it's a a beautiful uh, campus. It's 18.73 acres, as I told you. There's an apartment complex on one side, Barbara Bush Middle School. There's actually a shared gate, so parking. The school parks on the church campus sometimes, and the church can park on the school campus. And then we have plenty of room to expand uh, parking and various things. There are three buildings that are out there currently. Uh, This is the Children's Center. Uh, As you come down the hill into it, it's uh, a beautiful building. You see there's outdoor uh, playgrounds already in place. As you come in, the color scheme looks custom to Wayside, doesn't it, if you've been in our children's building. Again, being able to have that one campus, multiple location is already there. Uh, You have the central check-in that we all dream about here. Uh, Many of you have seen the new iPads. We're going to uh, electronic check-in for parents. If you haven't gotten your key fobs, go to the children's ministry. Let them know. They're going to shoot me for saying that. My wife's shaking her head. I know. know. My my wife's saying, don't do that. (laughs) Go back to the notes. We, We have a test group that is running to get the system working, and then you will be getting them in the mail. I'm just preparing you. If you're new to Wayside and you're not in our system, then you need to do that. Is that okay, honey? Okay. All right. So, saved myself grief this afternoon. All right, there's a student annex. These are two portable buildings that are out there. We have about 170 kids that are here on our property uh, most Sunday mornings, and there's many beyond that. Well, there's two classrooms here, 44 capacity on either side. Our long-term plan is to remove those buildings and build a new uh, facility there for students and and to accommodate the other needs of our church. But this gives us, again, a turnkey operation. We've been praying and looking for for years, literally, at least three full years we have been working with realtors trying to discover locations, storefronts up in this area. And the the best location we found to give us the about 18,000 square feet of building that we would need for a campus plan out that did not have the the parking, the location, on and on, was going to cost $1.6 million to sign a five-year lease 
We were going to have to spend at least half a million dollars to equip the facility. And then in the end of five years, all of that would be gone. And uh, here we have a campus uh, that I'm about to show you will cost $3.5 million that will give us um, the equity position in it, that will give us uh, the opportunity to grow into the future. There's the Worship and Fellowship Center. This is a multi-use building that is there on the property. And as you go into this building, uh, this is what the, the foyer looks like coming in. And, and I want you just to picture for a moment that people are coming into this place to hear the life-changing message of the gospel because that's what's happening. There's a current church there, North Central Christian Church, uh, a great church that God has closed their chapter of ministry at this location. They're going to be moving north to Indian Hills uh, School to uh, kind of do the church-in-the-box plan-out uh, situation because they're not large enough to support this property anymore. And so we're going to be continuing the work and, and building on the work that God has been doing in this community. This is what the interior looks like. Uh, we can set up 300 chairs in there. That's a little tight. We're going to think about 250. Or we're going to launch out with uh, one service at 11 o'clock hour, and then we hope to plan out a 915 type of service very uh, quickly as the church multiplies and grows. That back wall where you see those screens is movable. So the building, that's not a load-bearing wall. We can expand this building or we can build an additional building down the road on the property. We've got 18.7 acres uh, to work with. Uh, this, the, the screens that you see up front are going to be changed. In fact, if you like these screens that you see here, those are going to the new property and we're putting in uh, different screens here. What we're going to have is a combination of live and video teaching at the location. Before I talk about that, let me tell you what is going to be live there. Everything but the teaching for most Sundays. There will be live teaching, as I just said a few times. We're going to have a live worship band. It's going to be the 11 o'clock contemporary worship that goes out there. We're going to have a children's program staff. We're going to have student ministry staff out there. We're going to have a campus pastor who is out there. Uh, all during the week as well as on Sundays. The only thing that will be a video venue type of setup will be the teaching on some Sundays. Now, what we're looking at doing initially is doing a one-week delay of teaching out there, and we do that for a couple reasons. Uh, one, for those of you who are going to go and plant out and say, well, I'm going to miss worship if I'm serving in the children's ministry because there's not too uh, services, we can provide you either through the online uploading already of the sermon or even giving you a DVD to take home and uh, listen to in the comfort of your own home so you can sleep there instead of here. Uh, you'll have that sermon home with you. Uh, but what it also allows us to do is to have a live presence out there periodically. Remember, we want to have one church, multiple locations. And when you have different teaching pastors at different locations, while you can have similar things, you lose some of the DNA. And so what will happen is, say I preach here three Sundays in a row, and then Michael preaches the fourth, two of the Sundays out there will be uh, video, and on that third Sunday, when Michael is preaching here, I'll go out there and re-deliver the sermon that I preached live here, there, and then the following Sunday, Michael will take the sermon he delivered live here and preach it there. So we'll have a combination of live and video teaching. But again, there's going to be a campus pastor who is there, they can't talk to the screen and pray with the screen and, and talk to people. So uh, we're going to have a campus pastor who is there. Now, I told you it's going to cost $3.5 million. 
Yeah, let me get a drink because that's a, a, a large number. Um, but as you look at that number, you see that we already have a million dollars that's in place. Because as I told you, for several years as a church, we've been praying and preparing for this new campus. And so what we've been doing is putting aside money for the future. And so we have a million dollars that is already in hand to put toward the purchase. Now you're thinking, but what about the Ivywood homes? What if God opens up the opportunity to buy the last two? We have an additional $335,000. When you look at the giving and it says future facilities fund, that's what that fund is. And so we have the money in hand to buy uh, one and a half of the additional homes that we lack. So if God opens up the opportunity, you know, tomorrow for us to buy those homes, we're most of the way toward uh, having in hand everything we need to buy two homes. So I'd love to have both opportunities present themselves concurrently. Our, our giving is strong. Our reserves are good. So we're not in a position where we're going to jeopardize any of our existing ministry, any of our support of missionaries or anything. Uh, we're, in, we're in a good place. We need $2.5 million. And here's the good news. We already have that money. Here's the bad news. It's still in your pockets <laughs> and in my pocket. And so what God needs us to do is to give sacrificially toward this endeavor. Uh, when Wayside Chapel moved in 1987 from Vance Jackson and Wayside to this location, we bought this property for $2.4 million. We have a larger church, and the $2.4 million in today's terms is less money. Uh, we have the capacity within our church to meet that entire need. Now, if we do not have the money in hand around the July close, we will borrow what is, what is needed to complete it. And then we will pay back uh, that, that amount aggressively through multiple ways, through additional giving. Some of you will be in a position where you'll say, Roger, I want to give and I have some stock or some other position I want to give, but I need to do that at the end of the year or something. Wonderful. There, there's opportunity to give that. Uh, others of you now are saying, I've been saving toward this. I can give toward this. Uh, those, those resources, when you give them, please designate them as uh, something like Stone Oak or Stone Oak Campus or multi-site, whatever you want to call it, so that we know it's going toward this. Now, please don't just take what you're currently giving and divert it over and say, well, I'll just shift the money. Because, again, we not only need to meet the current needs, but we're also adding to the needs of the operational ministry and our missionaries that we already support. But again, $2.5 million, while it's a lot of money, is, is something that is very capable uh, for this congregation. Now, anything we do as people will fail. God has to go before us. God has to be in it. This isn't about us doing it in our own strength. It's about God uh, raising up his people to give sacrificially. Now, as we talk about raising up and giving sacrificially, it's not only about giving gifts, but we also need to give leaders and families. I want you to look at our passage again, because what it says in Acts 13, 2 is, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We have to set aside leaders and families. And the campus pastor that we are setting apart is Will Davis. Uh, this is Will and Kara Davis. Uh, Will sat down too quickly. Stand back up. <laughs> so Will's going to be standing right here after the service. And for some of you who are thinking, I want to go, 
this is the man you need to begin to talk to. You can sit down now, Will. I'll let you rest. <laughs> I want you to begin to think and pray. I want you to email him. I want you to have conversations with your family, with your circle of friends, and say, are we going to be a part of the pioneering group? Uh, are we going to be uh, part of this group? As Will and Kara were praying through the opportunity as they talked to their kids, one of their kids said, you know, Daddy, we'll go, but what about my friends? Am I going to be alone? Well, no, they're not going to be alone. We want to send other families uh, out there. So we're going to plan a core group of about 150 to 200 is what we would love to see establish and pioneer this new campus. So as you think in terms about the future, as you think in terms about what God's calling us to do, to give and to go, I want you to pray about that. I want you to honestly not just, you know, do one of those, you know, just, okay, I prayed. I want you to really do what we see in the passage. They prayed. They fasted. They thought it through. As I said, we have the capacity here to meet this need. I would love to be able to have us say what we see in Exodus 36, 5 through 7. There it says, that as, as God was saying, we have a need to build the new temple. Uh, it says the tabernacle under Moses. It said the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which the Lord commanded us to perform. So Moses issued a command and a proclamation was circulated throughout the camp saying, let no man or woman any longer perform work for the contribution of the sanctuary. Thus the people were restrained from bringing any more for the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. That would be a wonderful God story for us to be able to stand up here and say, God has raised all the money. We don't need to have you give any more. Please help me to be able to say that. I would love to experience that. <laughs> now, as I said, we need others of you to go. I want you to pray and think through it. In our passage, you see it says they laid hands on Paul and, and on Saul and Barnabas as they sent them out. When we come to the point of launching, we're going to bring the Davis family. We're going to have the congregation that is going stand. And we as a body are going to commission. We're going to commission the group going. We're not doing that today because we want to identify who is going. This is a missional effort that we're sending our people out to reach a part of the city that we have the ability to impact in new and exciting ways for the good news of the gospel. Now, some of you may be sitting here saying, Roger, I really don't feel called to go. This has been a nice message, but there's nothing in it for me. Oh, no, there is something for you. Not only am I asking you to pray about the possibility of giving if you're not going, but I also want you to remember that God calls on us to be Great Commission Christians. And so if you were to pull out your phone right now, you don't need to do this, and you were to pull up Google Maps or whatever app you use, you're going to see a little blinking blue dot there, right? And right now it's going to tell you Wayside Chapel, 1705 Northwest Loop 410 is where we are. But when you walk out of here and you go to lunch in a moment, or when you go to your home or wherever it is you're going to go this afternoon, I want you to pull out your phone and look at it, and you're going to see a blinking blue dot where you are. And when you go to, to work or when you go to school or when you are out on a vacation with your family, wherever you go, you're going to pull up an app and you're going to see that blinking blue dot. And when you do that, I want you to remember that is your missions field. That is where God has placed you at the moment. That is where God has given you the ability to reach out with the good news of the gospel where you are. And that's what we're doing as a church. Right now, we're doing that right here at 1705, Loop 410. We're about to be doing that at 1300 Evans Road. We're already doing it. 22% of you live in that neighborhood. You should already be reaching your community for Christ. 
We're just coming alongside you to help partner. And remember the 20-minute rule? We'll be able to reach people who are 20 minutes further north who would never drive here, who would now drive to that campus, or those that are to the east or the west. So I want to close our time in prayer, and then I'm going to invite uh, you to stand and sing this closing song of worship. But just join me as we go to the Lord and commit this to him now. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we're seeing, the way you've been at work in the book of Acts. Lord, there were exciting things that were happening in Acts, and there are exciting things happening in our day. And Lord, just as you uh, used humble means, men and women in that day, to spread the gospel, you continue 2,000 years later to use us as your instruments. Men and women, boys and girls, to be your messengers, your Uh, method of communicating the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord God, as we look at this endeavor, we know that without you going before us, we will fail. We'll fail miserably. Lord, this is not about us doing it in our own strength. This is about us partnering with you. Lord God, you tell us in your word that the fields are white for harvest, to lift up our eyes and see that. And we know that there is a, a harvest field up there just waiting. And you tell us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And, Father, that's what we're doing today. We're praying that we would raise up and send out men and women. Lord, as we look at your word, Paul and Barnabas were sent. These were the best. These were the best leaders in the early church, the teachers. And that church gave sacrificially. They didn't give of their leftovers. They gave the best. And, Father, that's what we're doing. We're giving some of the best of our team. We're giving some of the best of our families. We're giving uh, from our pockets, sacrificially, God, money that we could use in other ways. Lord, we don't want you to have the leftovers. We want you to have the best. And so, Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. Holy Spirit, would we listen and respond? So we commit these things to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Will you stand and worship, please?